BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Welcome to Made by Women by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. At a moment when businesses face some of the biggest challenges in recent history, we bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and shared learnings to help you successfully navigate in today's environment. I'm Kim Azzarelli, and thanks so much for joining us today. Sometimes the best business ideas come from the most ordinary places. Take household paint, for instance. The experience of shopping for paint had gone largely unchanged for decades. And then in 2018, Claire came along. Claire turned buying paint into a convenient and enjoyable online experience. What's more is that Claire offers high-quality, designer-curated paint that is sustainable and free of toxic solvents. Fast Company has called Claire the Warby Parker of paint. Claire founder Nicole Gibbons, who was already well-known as an interior design expert on HGTV and the Oprah Winfrey Network, was credited with upending the paint industry. Reviews and publications like Apartment Therapy said Claire is simply, quote, the best place to buy paint. How did Nicole Gibbons pull off this feat? Very methodically, it turns out. And that's just one of the lessons we're going to learn from her. Please enjoy my conversation with Claire founder, Nicole Gibbons. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So your company, Claire, has been called by Fast Company, the Warby Parker of paint. How would you describe Claire? And what is the customer experience? So funny. I feel like every startup is the Warby Parker of (laughs) fill in the blank. But um, I guess it's a compliment because they built a a fantastic business. But Clara is a modern paint company. We make the process of buying paint for your home really easy um, with designer curated paint colors, everything you need to paint delivered to your door. Plus, our paint is better for you, better for the environment. um, And we make sampling really easy with our peel and stick swatches. So it's a much easier overall process than going to a place like Home Depot. I love it. And I totally could see how you're disrupting the market with that because getting paint is such a hassle and not fun. And what you've just described sounds amazing. So um, 
makes a lot of sense. Your background is in, in interior design and you are a style influencer for sure. You've appeared on HGTV, on the Oprah Network, GMA, El Decor. But I want to take you back to your early days. Where did you grow up and how did you get to where you are? I grew up in suburban Detroit. Uh, my career journey was a long winding road. I'll give you the abbreviated version. Went to Northwestern, thought I wanted to do broadcast journalism, came out doing PR um, in fashion. I did PR for a decade. And while in that job, 2008, I started a decorating blog because I was super passionate about all things home. My friends used to kind of joke and call me like, Mar- you know, Martha Stewart in like a almost like a <laughs> like a, a shade kind of way, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if it was a compliment. <laughs> but, um, you know, what at 25, when everyone else was out at like bars and, you know, clubs or whatever, I was like at home, you know, trying to perfect like the perfect vanilla cake recipe and, you know, decorating and doing DIY projects and all of that. So then I think it was definitely a compliment then. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I was always a passion about home. And, and one of the things that I realized at the time is I was like, you know, there's no one that I see on TV speaking to me and my generation, you know, all the personalities that were on networks like HGTV or other, other kind of home focused networks were much older. Their style was a lot more, you know, maybe conservative and traditional or like just not as young and kind of style forward as, as my own personal style. And so I think initially my idea was perhaps I could be that kind of voice of authority on home for a younger generation of people who are, you know, super passionate about their homes. And um, that's kind of how I set out to, to build my career. So I felt like I needed to establish myself as a designer first to build that credibility. Um, I started taking on side projects, but I still had a day job. I was a global director of PR at a huge, you know, multi-billion dollar retail organization. And, um, you know, I sort of wrote out the whole entire <laughs> recession. And um, at the beginning of 2013 is when I finally kind of had the courage and you know, confidence to really take the leap and focus on building my business full time. And so I evolved pretty quickly into operating my design firm full time, working on projects in and around New York City. And I also simultaneously started tackling opportunities in media, which is how I ended up booking a role on a show um, on the Oprah Winfrey Network that I did for three seasons. It was a DIY decorating show called Homemade Simple that's actually still on. Um, And I really kind of worked super hard to position myself as an expert. And then the next chapter... I started thinking about how could I evolve my aesthetic. I had started to really establish my design firm. I had a lot of work that was published, you know, got featured in a lot of, you know, amazing places. And, um, you know, I, you know, again, going back to the Martha Stewart business model, I kept thinking, how could I evolve my own personal brand into something that's a massive scale or, or a much larger scale so that I could help, you know, really tie back to my core mission, which is help people make their homes beautiful. How can I do that on a broad scale? And so I kept exploring different market opportunities. And I came across the, you know, pain or, you know, as a designer, I was super passionate about color. And I realized this industry was archaic, the shopping experience was broken. And that's how I knew I had a good opportunity on my my hands. It's amazing actually to hear you talk about that, because a lot of people think there's like an idea in the middle of the night, and someone jumps out of bed and starts their company. But what you just described was so thoughtful, such a thoughtful process of what you wanted to do and establish your, as you say, your credentials and your credibility. And then then you saw an opening in the market. I'm going to ask a very simple question, though. How did you come up with the name? Yeah, so I saw that all the brands in paint were hyper-masculine. So, you know, Benjamin Moore, Darwin Williams, Dutch Boy, you know, they all sound like dudes in plaid shirts. And I know from my experience in home that the people who are really making the color decisions in households are women. Um, and I felt like brands were failing to appeal to women. 
Um, so I intentionally wanted a name that was feminine, approachable, easy to remember, friendly sounding, um, and a name that could be personified. So you could really build a personality around the brand. And then lastly, I wanted a name that tied back to some deeper meaning uh, related to color. And so Claire comes from a Latin root word, claris, that means bright and brilliant. Um, and so the wordplay there felt really appropriate because both brilliant in terms of being innovative and forward thinking, but also in terms of color and it, it was, you know, it kind of checked all those boxes. And it, and it was originally just a working title because I wasn't sure what to call the brand. But after a while, it just felt right and, and sort of stuck. So what were the first steps you took to get this vision off the ground? Yeah. So first, I really thought about it for, you know, about a year. Um, I kept, you know, super busy in my company. And I kept thinking like, oh, this is such a good idea. You know, how do I make this happen? What do I do to, to focus my attention? So I, I, I thought of this as an idea in the beginning of 2016. And then, you know, really kind of thought about it off and on the entire year. Um, and then in the beginning of 2017, January, you know, how you wake up on the first of the year, and it's kind of like new year, new me, what am I going to do with my life this year? Um, I came back to the idea for Claire. And I'm like, if I don't do this now, I probably will never do it. So what are the steps I need to take to need to take to make this happen? So I decided to take a quarter off from my design firm. I was in a lucky position that I was wrapping up a couple projects from uh, 2016. And so, you know, I finished up those projects, but I didn't take on any new clients. And I spent, I said, I was going to give myself one quarter to explore the opportunity. I'm going to talk to people in the paint industry, figure out, you know, how I might go about doing this and also how to get the company funded. So within a month, I sort of had the plan. I, you know, um, uh, serendipitously got connected with someone who um, is uh, a, a leading architectural codings chemist in the in the industry, um, and she gave me some wonderful advice around paint formulation and how to think about, you know, kind of the the kind of production side of things. And then um, I had a chat with a VC who gave me some really positive feedback just about the idea and some advice on raising capital. Um, and both of those conversations gave me a lot of confidence. The, the person who um, you know works in R&D and paint was like, I've been in the business for 20 years and even I hate shopping for paint. So I think you're, you're onto something. You know, she's like, I know every ingredient in paint and, and it's, still shop, it's still a terrible experience. Um, and then the VC was just like, this is a massive market opportunity. I had no idea the paint industry was this big. I'm really curious to learn more. When you're ready, I'd love to hear your pitch. And the fact that even just one VC was interested in hearing my pitch signaled to me that there would be a lot of others whose interest I could pique and who might potentially help help me get the business off the ground. So did you did you go out early and raise a, raise money or did you wait? Um, I raised, so I ended up spending the whole, pretty much majority of the year building out our supply chain and kind of laying the whole foundation for the business. Um, every single supplier, um, every, you know, partner to build the website, you know, just operational processes, just how we were going to actually do this. How are we going to ship paint? What does the financial model look like? And then putting together pitch materials to go out and fundraise. And so probably by the fall, I had all of that you know, kind of checked off and, and went out to raise capital in the fall. And by the end of the year, I closed our pre-seed round, which was $2 million. Wow. Congratulations. It's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. We'll be back with Seneca's Made by Women after this short break. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. After hearing you speak about this, I mean, you just seem so on it and so organized about your vision. What were the obstacles you faced early on, if any? Yeah, I mean, I think like our biggest, because, you know, everything, I don't want to say it felt easy, but because I think I was so thoughtful about it, a lot of things went exactly according to plan in the pre-launch days, you know, like everything went super smoothly. The brand exactly as I envisioned came to life. And then we launched, right? And so I'd say, I think the biggest challenge, like, you know, getting to launch is one thing, but then once you're live and out into the world, you've got to actually sell your product. And so I'd say like, that was a bigger challenge than actually like developing the brand and kind of getting, you know, all getting that off the ground and getting the product manufactured, you know, to be able to grow and scale a business at venture expectations required a lot of learning, something I'd never done before. Um, building a team, um, you know, a lot of those things were were really challenging and are still challenging because, you know, we're still a young company. We're not yet three years old. Um, and so we still have a lot of growth to achieve and we still need to grow our team and, um, you know, really trying to figure out the right secret sauce to building a team and the right secret sauce for, for growth, um, you know, are, are probably the two biggest challenges because without those things, there are you know, there, there's no business because <laughs> right. um, I can't do this by myself. So um, th- those are really, you know, have, have been the biggest challenges and paints a really tough category. It's high consideration purchase. It's not the kind of thing, you know, like I always say that beauty is like the best 
business. It's a little oversaturated, but you know, super high margins, small and light to ship, you know, really easy, you know, kind of straightforward just from a from a fulfillment process. You know, paint is super complicated, heavy to ship, high consideration. There's samples involved before people actually buy the product. Um, you know, and just really trying to unlock all of that and understand the data around that, you know, t- takes a lot of time and learning because, you know, people don't just buy paint sight unseen off a click on the on the internet, you know, it, and, and once they buy samples, they have to then convert into a paint buyer. And so it takes a while to kind of learn and gather the data so that you can kind of take those data driven insights and then optimize your business. So, um, you know, a lot of things with our category, we're just maybe probably a lot slower than maybe a kind of higher, higher impulse, lower consideration type of product. Um, and that adds a layer of kind of challenges and, and complexity to, to everything we do. One thing that makes your product so unique beyond its convenience is how sustainable your products are. Can you tell us a little bit about this and why sustainability is so important to your business? Yeah, I think um, for two core reasons. Number one is because it's it's personally important to me. You know, I really care about the environment. I really care about, um, you know, at least how I live my day-to-day life, making the best possible choices for both my own personal health as well as the environment. And I wanted, you know, my business to reflect those personal values as well. But then secondarily, like the industry has been um, notorious for misleading consumers about what's in their product um, and has been one of the least transparent industries. And it's actually quite a regulated industry, believe it or not, um, because it is a chemical product. And because um, a lot of other paint uh, contributes uh, VOCs into the environment, which, you know, contributes to global warming and, you know, all of that. And so, um, you know, it's actually a, a pretty highly regulated industry. And so from that perspective, we just, I wanted to do everything I could to make sure customers felt safe using our products, especially since we were a new to market brand, right? Like, you you know, there's this idea of, oh, maybe we trust a brand that's been around for 100 years. But when in reality, those are the brands that have actually been the most misleading, you know, sure, stemming back to the days of, um, you know, lead paint, lead was banned in paint in the in the 70s. But before that, uh, similar to like the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, everyone knew at a certain point, uh, probably 20 years before it was banned, or probably more than that, that paint was harm, or sorry, that lead in paint was harmful to human health. But many paint companies continued selling it for decades because they just didn't want to change what was driving business for them, right? Like, we're driving revenue, we're selling lots of this paint. So if it ain't broke, we're not going to fix it unless we're forced to. And so, you know, some of the biggest paint brands in the world um, knowingly sold lead paint to consumers for decades, you know, things like that. Yeah. And even when when the EPA started regulating VOC contents in paint, brands were super shady and misleading about um, the VOC contents in their in their product. A lot of people don't realize this, but when you buy paint at a traditional retail outlet, they're really just stocking a white base and the paint is tinted at the store, right? You've all seen the paint counter at a Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, well, brands would produce the base formula according to the EPA regulations, but the colorants were not. So you think you're buying a zero VOC paint, but when they actually tint the paint in the store, because no one's buying untinted paint, right? Right. They would tint the paint and it would put all the VOCs back in the 
in the container and you, you're really not getting what you thought. Wow. Um, and so those are just examples of how the pain industry has been really, really misleading. And we wanted to do the polar opposite of that. We're like, how can we be as transparent as possible? What can we do to give customers the utmost confidence that our product is, is you know, kind of better for, for your home, your health and the environment? And we've kind of made that a priority. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're not reinventing paint. I think we're reinventing the experience and we're taking a different approach around transparency and the kind of relationship that we build with our customers. And I think that's really what differentiates us. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that because that that seems like a, a major, a major disruption and an, an important one for all of us. Yeah. I mean, we've been in this obviously crazy time of the pandemic, which has been so difficult on so many levels. But it has been a time when people have reconnected with their homes. What's been the impact of the pandemic on Claire? It's, it's, you know, it's bittersweet to say this because I wish there were never a pandemic, but it did drive a lot of growth for us. You know, with, like you said, with people reconnecting with their homes and being forced to stay indoors, I think a lot of folks were staring around at their walls, looking at all the things they don't like and wanting to improve their space and how they feel when they're in their home. And so that resulted in lots of people buying paint. We saw a tremendous amount of growth, about 500% from the year prior. Um, and, uh, you know, it really put our business on a different trajectory and also helped to increase our brand awareness a ton. So, you know, for us, um, you know, we were very um, lucky beneficiaries of the kind of pandemic home boom, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, I'm really grateful for that. Well, hopefully people will, you know, this will be kind of a permanent shift in the way people think about home. I feel like people are rediscovering that it's, it's great to be home. You don't always have to be out. So that's a good outcome of the pandemic. Let me ask you for the women out there um, who are thinking about starting a business, maybe on the fence, what have you learned that you wish someone would have told you early on about starting your own company? I think there's two things. I think the biggest thing that prevents people from starting a business is a fear of failure. And statistics show that most startups will fail. But I've, in this journey, uh, have met a lot of people whose startups didn't work out. But I never once heard someone say, I wish I hadn't have done it. Um, what everyone who I've talked to who's had a failed startup um, says is that I learned so much and I would not trade that experience for the world. So it really will challenge you. Um, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And everyone I talk to who's running a startup says it's the hardest thing they've ever done. Um, and it's, I think it's a little bit different for companies that launch and are small businesses and want to stay pretty small and kind of self-owned. But for companies who have raised venture capital, the, the, just the expectations for growth that comes with that and the pressure that comes with that adds on a whole other layer of like kind of challenge and stress and anxiety and all of that to to the job. So I'd, I'd say one thing is like just like do not be afraid because regardless of the outcome, this is an experience that will forever change you for the better. Um, and then I'd say the second piece of advice is just be sure this is something that you really love um, because it is going to be a very challenging journey and you you have to be dedicated and in it. I, I see so many people who think like, oh, I'm going to be the Warby Parker for fill in the blank. And this is going to be the we're going to crush it. And this is a great market opportunity. And, they're, and they, they're, they're really focused on a market opportunity versus something that they're truly passionate about. And what ends up happening because the journey is so challenging is they end up giving up really soon. Um, and maybe they, you know, get acquired or, um, <laughs> you know, 
shut down or whatever, just because they're, they just aren't deeply invested enough to, um, you know, kind of deal with the, all of the ups and downs and challenges that comes along with growing that business. If it wasn't an instant success in most businesses, even the ones that look from the outside looking in, like they were runaway smash successes behind the scenes, it still is a giant uphill battle. And um, so you have to make sure that you are, are truly committed and you're not just like, you know, using this as like a business school case study because you think it's a great market opportunity that can turn into a business. I think it's harder and harder to grow a, a Warby Parker-esque business these days. And um, so you you got to really love what you're doing and be, be super passionate. Awesome advice. I totally agree with everything you just said. So I, I cannot let you go uh, before asking you for your advice on your favorite paint colors. Ah, oh, that's like asking a parent <laughs> their favorite child. I love them all. <laughs> no, I mean, I do have some personal favorites. I, am, I happen to be sitting in my living room, which is where I'm working from home um, in this pandemic. And my living room is our best-selling neutral color called Penthouse. It's a really soft shade of grayish. And grayish is like a category of colors that we define as the perfect mix between gray and beige. And so it's just an airy, light color. So if you want a subtle hint of color on your walls that's not white, that adds a little bit of warmth and a little bit of dimension. Penthouse is such a beautiful color. So that's one. I also love a lot of our more vibrant colors. Headspace is a really soft, airy blue that's calming and serene, hence the name Headspace. Um, and another favorite is Current Mood. It's a super, dip, super deep, rich, moody green that everyone loves. It's super popular on Instagram and it's our best-selling non-neutral color. So fun. So fun. I'm so I'm going to look into that immediately because I am looking for some new colors. So thank you for that. It was a personal, personal request. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything you're doing um, to really make it healthier for all of us in our homes and to make it more beautiful. And also for just sharing your journey. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. There were so many valuable lessons in that conversation with Claire founder, Nicole Gibbons. Here are three things I took from the conversation. First, Nicole was extremely methodical in building her skill set prior to launching her company. She enhanced her credibility in the space by taking on all the side projects she could before focusing on her business idea full time. She found success by first learning all she could about what she was getting into before jumping in with both feet. Second, Nicole shows just how important it is to make a detailed plan. And when she made her plan, she followed it to a T. First, she networked with as many people in the paint industry as she could to learn the lay of the land. Then she spent a significant amount of time developing her supply chain. Once she had all the pieces in place, she was able to get her online business going. Finally, it was important to Nicole to focus on sustainability. She wanted to sell paint that buyers could trust. Her unwavering desire to be transparent with customers about ingredients has resulted in a loyal customer base who shares her values. Made by Women is brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G.
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.